Even though we're in the dead zone of the NFL offseason, the quarterback carousel is still spinning and the Seahawks are in center stage. What's the latest on them and Baker Mayfield? I'll be breaking it all down on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's happening, 12s? This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Thursday to all of our listeners. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to continue our 90 player countdown with numbers 70 through 66, a couple of rookies and a few returning reserves battling for roster spots on today's countdown. Plus, I'll be continuing our position-by-position review, checking out the pivot position center. The Seahawks made a few changes there this offseason. Will they be better at that position? And do they have some potential sleepers that they're ready to groom at the position? I'll be diving into the depth chart later in the show. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We're in the midst of a six-week moratorium in the NFL between OTAs and the start of training camp. Typically, this time of year, there's not much going on in terms of roster decisions and trades. You'll see some free agent signings, some extensions that'll happen in coming weeks. But typically, this is a pretty quiet time. And yet, this particular offseason, the quarterback carousel is spinning wildly with Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo both being dangled as trade bait, potentially being cap casualties on the market. The Seahawks have been linked to both of those players but mostly they have been linked to Baker Mayfield, and that trend has continued. Jacina Anderson of CBS being the latest to report that the Seahawks still have high interest in Mayfield. Per Anderson's Twitter account, she said, I'm told the Seahawks still have a high level of interest in acquiring quarterback Baker Mayfield, and behind the scenes, the Seahawks are open to contractually extending him per league source. I also know that the process of collecting information and insights into Mayfield is still ongoing. This has been an ongoing process for the last couple months, really ever since the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson to the Broncos back in March, and the Browns then turned around and traded for Deshaun Watson, who they thought they were out of the running for, and then he wasn't impressed with what the Saints and Falcons had to offer, gave the Browns another opportunity. They gave him a fully guaranteed contract despite his legal troubles, And they were able to get him from the Texans in exchange for three first-round picks. So you had two blockbuster trades involving two of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Obviously in much different positions after last season. Even Wilson with the injury last year still had a pretty productive season overall. Deshaun Watson didn't play a single game. But nonetheless, ever since those two trades went down, the Seahawks have been connected to Baker Mayfield as a potential landing spot. There aren't many teams that are looking for quarterbacks right now. The Seahawks have Geno Smith and Drew Locke set to compete in training camp. That is far from an ideal situation compared to most teams in the NFL. They don't have an incoming rookie that's going to be competing. Jacob Eason's the only other quarterback on the roster. But Pete Carroll has seemed genuinely excited about being able to see what Drew Locke and Geno Smith can do in a competition. And he's mentioned a couple times that he didn't anticipate that they were going to be trading for a quarterback. That being said, these situations are always fluid. So the big thing here is... Is Jocena Anderson's report really new? Is it anything new? And for the most part, 
The answer is no. This is what has been going around for months, that Baker Mayfield is a quarterback the Seahawks have some interest in. They have done their research. They've been digging in and seeing if it might be a potential fit. That has never been disputed. However, the interest has never been enough for them to go out and trade for Mayfield with his contract. More than $18.5 million due in 2022, fully guaranteed money. The Seahawks could not absorb that contract right now, even if they wanted to. They don't have enough cap space. Could they create cap space to make it happen? Sure, of course, but this is not what the Seahawks want to do. They've never been interested in that. Even with the Browns reportedly being willing to eat half of Mayfield's salary, the Seahawks and the Panthers have not jumped at the opportunity to trade for him because they know the Browns really don't have any leverage in this situation. You've got Deshaun Watson, you have Jacoby Brissett, who you signed in free agency, who has some starting experience. So the Seahawks and the Panthers both know we're not going to give you a bunch of draft assets and we're not going to eat most of that salary. You need to eat it if you want to trade him. In fact, an argument can be made if you want us to take on a little more salary, you need to give us a draft pick to facilitate this trade, a Brock Osweiler type special from a few years ago with the Texans and ironically the Browns being involved in that trade. Those are the that's the climate right now when it comes to this potential trade, whether it's the Seahawks or the Panthers. Both teams know that the Browns don't have leverage, and even though Mayfield is by all accounts an upgrade over the quarterbacks that the Seahawks have, it remains debatable how much he really would move the needle. It would it be 18.5 million dollars worth? Probably not. Based on his numbers, his inconsistency, if you can get the 2020 version of Baker Mayfield when he threw 26 touchdowns, just eight interceptions, led the Browns to an 11-5 and record, nearly upset the Chiefs on the road in the playoffs. If you can get that Baker Mayfield and he's able to play like that, then he obviously would be an upgrade over the quarterbacks that Seattle has currently on the roster. But then you look at last year, playing with an injury, 17 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. In 2019, had over 20 picks. So interceptions have been a problem for Mayfield. He has been a gunslinger throughout his NFL career. Sometimes it's paid off for him. Other times he's paid dearly for it. And Pete Carroll does not want a quarterback that's going to turn the ball over a lot, which is why Drew Locke's arrival has been something that's been a bit interesting because that's been a problem for him early in his career in Denver, led to him being beaten out by Teddy Bridgewater in training camp in the preseason a year ago in Denver, losing his starting job. So Baker Mayfield carries some of the same traits in that regard, but he's an underrated athlete. He's got good arm talent. He can be a great leader. There have been some questions about that, whether fair or not, during his time in Cleveland. I think from a physical tools standpoint, he has what it takes to be a top 15 starter. But the question is, is that really going to be that much better than what the Seahawks have? And do they want to go out and trade anything to acquire him? It seems like it is still in best interest for Seattle and Carolina to wait this out and see what Cleveland does. Because the Browns are going to have a really hard time getting Baker Mayfield to buy into the idea of reporting to training camp and being on this roster, even with a chance to start. If Watson's suspended, Mayfield could be the guy, but the bridge is burned beyond repair. So it still seems like there would be a chance that the Browns decide we just need to move on and cut ties and release. And you know the Seahawks and Panthers would both be jumping for that opportunity. So we'll see what ends up happening here. I wouldn't completely rule out a trade if the Browns are willing to eat 70% of Mayfield's contract just to facilitate the deal. If the Seahawks didn't feel like they had to give up 
much more than maybe a sixth or a seventh round pick, and they didn't have to pay most of Mayfield's salary, maybe even include an extension in there, as Anderson reports. That would be the one noteworthy thing, I think, in this report that has not been out there. People that I've talked to have not suggested the Seahawks were looking at him for a multi-year extension. That would indicate that they think he could be the long-term answer at quarterback. Nobody's really viewed it as that way, at least in the short term. He would have to prove himself to be that jumping right to an extension isn't something that most have expected would happen in this regard. But it sounds like the Seahawks, if her sources are accurate, have at least contemplated that possibility. And this is still only a 27-year-old quarterback. Again, two years ago, had a very good season, took the Cleveland Browns of all franchises to the divisional round of the playoffs. They won 11 games that year. They won a postseason game. So, he is capable, and you put him in an offense with a good running game and the weapons the Seahawks have on the outside, he could be very successful. It's just boiled down to consistency from him. You've seen flashes of top 10, top 15 play, and then you have long stretches where he really struggles and doesn't look like he should be starting. You have to figure out how to even that out, and if you can find some consistency, then Baker Mayfield could maybe still be a long-term starter. We'll see what happens right now. I don't expect that anything is going to be happening here in the near future, unless the Browns just decide we're going to eat most of the salary, let's facilitate this trade, then maybe the Seahawks or the Panthers then would bite. But to this point, if they haven't made a trade in the last couple of months, it's hard to believe that they're going to be jumping to do that right now with five and a half weeks until the start of training camp. So we'll see what happens. Coming up next, going to continue our 90-player roster countdown with numbers 70 through 66 looking forward to it a number of undrafted rookies as well as some returning reserves looking to vie for roster spots this episode is brought to you by rock auto with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer. They've got everything you could possibly ask for, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even a new steering wheel cover. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Continuing our 90-player roster countdown, getting out into the 60s, numbers 70 through 66. Have a couple intriguing undrafted players in this particular segment of players, and we've got some reserves coming back that are looking to make the roster this time around. Starting at number 70, maybe the most intriguing undrafted rookie on Seattle's roster, that would be Vi Jones, the linebacker out of North Carolina State. Really intriguing athlete at the off-ball linebacker position. He doesn't necessarily look like he would be one. He looks like he would be an edge rusher. He's 6'3", 225 pounds, really long arms. He's tall, lean, lengthy, 
And man, is he an athlete. Ran a 4-5-2 40-yard dash and put on a show at North Carolina State's Pro Day. And yet he didn't get drafted. You look at the numbers last year, six sacks and four forced fumbles in the ACC with his size. Also blocked a few field goals last year. He's been really good at that at the college level. Had six blocked field goals or extra points during his time at the college level. So this is a player that was really productive. He's got athleticism. There are some questions about his ability to get off of blocks and be able to decipher run plays at the NFL level. But you have a great coaching staff in place to be able to help this player with it. And I think when you look at the traits and just the natural talent that he brings to the equation, he comes from a football family. Both of his brothers have either played in the NFL or still in the NFL. Zay Jones is with the Jacksonville Jaguars a receiver that was an early-round draft pick. His father played for the Cowboys Super Bowl teams and was a standout linebacker. So I mean, he comes from a family with football pedigree. And so I think that Vi Jones could be a name to keep a very close eye on, especially with Ben Burkirvan and John Radigan coming back from injuries and some of the uncertainty with other players like Tanner Muse, maybe not an NFL-caliber defender at linebacker, Vi Jones could be that type of a talent, and maybe he's that undrafted gem that ends up emerging from this class and becomes a viable contributor. He's got all the traits. Now the question is, is he going to be able to translate those traits to being a quality linebacker at the next level? He's going to get his first crack at doing that in training camp. He had a pretty impressive offseason program. Pete Carroll was gushing about him. So he's certainly a player that I will have both my eyes glued on in training camp, and I'm excited to see where he fits into the linebacker puzzle. Up next here, number 69, another undrafted rookie, heralding from Miami, Bubba Bolden, 6'2", 210 pounds. This is a big-bodied safety. The Seahawks like to have as many of those players as they can on their roster. And it's interesting, when you look at Bubba Bolden two years ago, Bubba Bolden looked like he was going to be a potential day-two selection. We're talking second or third-round pick. He was a second-team all ACC selection for the Hurricanes, had a dominant season, big hitter, made some good plays on the football, just really had a fine 2020 season. And then last year, injuries returned. That was really one of the big issues for him at Miami. He got banged up quite a bit, some durability concerns. So you put that together with inconsistent production away from his 2020 season, and he fell out of the draft completely. But Bolden is, again, another one of those players very similar to Vi Jones that has the athletic traits, has the size, comes from a program that hasn't been as dominant. Obviously, Miami has not been to a national title game for like 20 years, but it is still Miami. They still get top-notch recruits. They develop NFL talent. Bolden, like Jones, is a player that I think could potentially be a better pro than he was a college player. And that's really interesting when you look at Seattle's depth chart at safety, because you got Jamal Adams, you've got Quandre Diggs, Ryan Neal, Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi. There's a log jam of proven players in front of these undrafted safeties the Seahawks have. They signed four of them with Bolden being one of those four players. And he certainly, you could make the argument has the highest ceiling of any of those four players. When you watch the film from two years ago, again, it looked like a second or third round pick potentially, and then just didn't have a good final season with the Hurricanes. And not all of it was his fault. Again, injuries being an issue, wasn't healthy. But when he's healthy on the field, you've already seen some glimpses during OTAs, even rookie minicamp. He looks the part of an NFL safety. And I think with his hitting ability and his playing style, at minimum, 
he is going to be an effective special teams player for the Seahawks. I think he's going to be a guy that goes down and decks people. He can play in the box. He's played some free safety as well. So there's some versatility to his game. I don't know that he can make this roster because of the veterans the Seahawks have at safety, but you know, you'd be smart to consider the possibility that if one of these four undrafted rookie safeties can make the team, Bolden might be the one that has the best shot because of his upside. He's still a little bit younger safety, his size, his athleticism, and the fact that he had the all ACC play two years ago, he's shown himself to be that type of a player. Can you get that out of him in the NFL? So Bolden, another undrafted rookie that I'm going to watch closely. He's not in a good position to make this football team, but could be a strong practice squad candidate who ends up playing meaningful snaps for this team down the road, at least on special teams. Next up, a returning player who was an undrafted rookie a year ago, Josh Johnson coming out of Louisiana Monroe, short, stocky, powerful running back that really impressed Pete Carroll and his coaching staff during the preseason and camp. This was a player that John Schneider mentioned a couple times during the season that they did not want to lose. They were very intrigued by, and he looks like he could be a quality reserve NFL running back. He's got surprising quickness and burst. Not a guy that had the most impressive numbers at his pro day two years ago, but you see that burst on film. You see it on the practice field. He just has some wiggle you don't expect. He packs a punch between the tackles, low center of gravity, and he uses it well running the football. And I think what really sets him apart from some of the other undrafted rookies that they have brought in in the past at the running back position, he's got pass protection skills and he can catch the football. He didn't get many chances to do either one of them in college playing for an offense that ran the football a lot. And they had other running backs that rotated in, but he's pretty polished as a pass protector, made some nice blitz pickups in the preseason last year. He can catch the ball, has really soft hands uh, maybe not the best route runner, but he's certainly not a liability catching the ball out of the backfield. And so Johnson's got a lot of intriguing traits to be an all-around back. The issue that he's going to have to worry about with Ken Walker the third getting picked, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas coming back, Rashad Penny resigning. Where is there going to be a spot? It almost looks like it's going to be one of those situations where there's going to have to be an injury in front of him for Josh Johnson to have a chance to make the 53-man roster. He has the talent to be an NFL running back, but this is a crowded, very talented group with some experienced players. You throw Chris Carson back into that equation, it's going to be almost impossible for Johnson to make this team. It remains to be seen if Carson will be able to play again coming off next surgery. But Johnson is really the wild card to watch in the backfield because he does have a really interesting array of tools. And if he ends up pushing DJ Dallas or Travis Homer and outplays them in training camp of the preseason, you might have to have an interesting discussion if you're the Seahawks because those two guys are in the back end of their rookie deals now. Josh Johnson, you're going to be able to keep affordably for at least two more years at a cheaper price than those other two players. So I think he has a chance, an outside shot to make some noise, but this is going to be a really challenging depth chart for him to climb with the players they have, the talent, the draft picks that they've invested. Going to be tough sledding, but he's got the talent to make that type of a push. Next up on the list, coming in at 67, Aaron Doncor. I don't know that there has been a player who came to OTAs and minicamp this year with a more improved physique than Aaron Doncor last year. Not that he was small by any means, because he wasn't. Aaron Doncor's got a solid, thick frame, but he came jacked 
to OTAs and minicamp. He's clearly hit the weight room. He's been in an NFL weight program. Looks to me like he's put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle, still flying around the field. You add that muscle with the athletic traits that he brought with him. Obviously, didn't get a lot of experience playing at Arkansas State at the college level. Played professional football in Germany. I mean, this is a huge step up in competition. He's still learning the game. Last year, he was an exemption on their practice squad. They still have the ability to do that this year, at least on their 90-man roster. He does not count against that 90-man limit, so maybe that would still be the case in the practice squad. If it is, I anticipate that he's going to be a player that they want to keep around. You know, at minimum, you want to make sure that he has an opportunity when they play in Germany Week 10 that maybe he can dress for that game. Again, NFL is not about participation trophies, so who knows what's going to happen on that front. But Don Cor is a player that I will be monitoring because of his athletic traits, the way that he plays the game. He just goes 110% on every single play. Pete Carroll has called him a pain in the ass, but that's a good term in this particular instance. He's just the type of player that gets after it. So if he's able to really take a big step forward in terms of his knowledge of the linebacker position, being able to play against this level of competition with the added muscle, improved technique, maybe this is a sleeper to keep an eye on. Last year, I thought Doncor might be a surprise. Maybe this will be the year that he is going into his second full season with the organization. And this is a wide open depth chart at linebacker right now with some of the injuries guys are coming back from the youth they have in that position. Don Cor could be in a prime spot to maybe push for a spot on the fifth of the main roster if he can dominate on special teams and show something as a pass rusher in the preseason. And closing off this list of players, number 66, an incoming draft pick, Dariq Young, heralding from Lenore Ryan, six foot three, 223 pounds, another player that just put on a show at his pro day, coming out of a Division II school, running in the low 4-4s, uh, upper 30s-inch vertical, near 40-inch vertical, a sub-6.9-second three-cone drill. You don't see receivers of his size that have that combination of burst explosiveness and change of direction skills. He's played all five special teams. He's played some running back. He's played out of the slot. He's played out wide. But he's making that huge leap going from Division II to the NFL. And he's also playing at a very crowded position group where you've got Metcalf and Lockett, Eskridge, Swain. And then there's a number of veterans that have game experience, like Penny Hart, who's been on the roster most of the last two years, has played a lot of snaps, particularly on special teams. Cody Thompson's been impressive again this offseason. you got Kate Johnson. You have Aaron Fuller. There's a number of players on the fringe that are returning. And, oh, by the way, Bo Melton was picked a couple picks before him in the seventh round and is a freak athlete that dominated the Big Ten when he had opportunities despite subpar quarterback play and really lit it up in the Senior Bowl. So Dariq Young, to make this team, is really going to have to stand out on special teams. If he can emerge as a kicker punt returner or as a gunner, some capacity really show off his game on special teams, and he's able to do some things on the offensive side of the ball, build a rapport with Locke and or Smith, whoever's going to be the starter, then maybe Young has an outside shot. But being a seventh-round pick coming from Division II, this might be a case where the Seahawks cut him with hopes they can stash him on the practice squad and they can continue developing him. Because if they're able to do that with the traits, the versatility they has, this could be a player that a year or two from now could be a major factor on offense and special teams. He just might not be ready to do that just yet 
with that major jump in competition going from Division II to the NFL. He's going to be one of the most intriguing players from this draft class to watch, though, because he has a very rare physical toolbox for a receiver of his size. Up next, continuing our position-by-position review, we're going back to the trenches. The center spot has been an area of concern for the Seahawks, really, since Max Unger left. They got some good seasons out of Justin Britt, but They've had some inconsistencies, some poor play there. Injuries have also been a problem. How does that group look heading into the 2022 season? I'll be breaking the depth chart down here in a moment. For the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given Coconut Brownie Chunk the Puffs treatment. That's right, the Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor you love and a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen, they are good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut Brownie Chunk Puffs are only here for a limited time. So visit Built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out on the fun. They're going fast because they taste amazing and they are healthy. The best part about Built Puffs, of course, is they taste amazing, but you enjoy them guilt-free. They are actually good for you. They're the perfect treat, perfect when you're craving, you need to satisfy your sweet tooth, or if you need a quick, healthy snack, they're an excellent source of protein. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that's Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making the Locked On Seahawks podcast your first listen five days a week. We're nearing the finish line on our post-offseason position-by-position depth chart review. We've talked about guards. We've talked about tackles on the offensive line. And that leaves maybe the most important position along the offensive line. Left tackle probably still takes the cake, but center coming a close second. This has been a position that has been in turmoil at times for the Seahawks of the last five, six, seven years. Ever since Max Unger left, Justin Britt ended up becoming a solid starter for a couple seasons for Seattle. Then Britt gets hurt. They move on to Ethan Posick. He couldn't stay in the lineup. And when he was healthy, inconsistent play, particularly in the run game, had several injured reserve stints the last couple of years. They started Kyle Fuller at the beginning of last year. That didn't work out well at all particularly from a communication standpoint. He loses his job back to Ethan Posing at midseason. And oh, by the way, they had the chance to draft Creed Humphrey last year out of Oklahoma, who ended up having a fantastic rookie year for the Kansas City Chiefs. They went with D. Eskridge instead. So this has been a position that they've had opportunities to address and they haven't taken advantage or the players they brought in just haven't worked out. They gave it another shot this spring, bringing in Austin Blythe, who is familiar with line coach Andy Dickerson, as well as Shane Waldron. Blythe was a starter for three years for the Rams. He has started at both guard spots. His last year with the Rams in 2019, he started all 16 games at the pivot position. He's undersized, not a big body guy, but he's perfect for a zone blocking scheme, which we expect the Seahawks to have this year with Waldron at the controls. Dickerson now taking over as the offensive line coach. It is going to be more zone centric. He's got a wrestling background, one of the best wrestlers in Iowa history at the high school level. 
So that certainly pays off for him in the trenches. Last year was a year to forget for him. He goes to Kansas City, and then, of course, Creed Humphrey ends up in Kansas City. He's banged up early in the year, played less than 30 offensive snaps for the Chiefs last season, goes back into free agency. This is really a chance for him to hit the restart button in a very familiar scheme, playing for coaches that he knows well, that know him well, understand how to play to his strengths, and from a communication standpoint, this should be seamless for him, working with Waldron and Dickerson. And that only helps the rest of the offensive line, in particular when you have potentially two rookies starting at the tackle spots. I think Blight's addition is kind of one that's been under the radar. Not necessarily a dominant center, but he knows the scheme. He knows how to communicate the scheme. He's a good athlete. He has good lateral mobility. And he's just played in the system. He understands the intricacies of it. So I think this could end up being one of the shrewder moves the Seahawks make. Of course, he's had some issues with pass protection. But right now, he is your projected starter on day one. I wouldn't expect anybody else to push him. As far as a wild card, like I said, center position looks like it's going to be Austin Blythe. And I would anticipate that he's going to be starting week one. But if you're looking for a wild card to watch, Dakota Shepley is the name to monitor just a little bit. I don't know that he's got a legitimate opportunity to start for this football team. He didn't get to play any snaps at center last year. He was a guard prior to that point, so they moved him to center. He has not had many snaps at the center position since he got out of college when he played at the University of British Columbia. He has been a guard in the CFL. He was a guard for the San Francisco 49ers when he was with them for a little over a year, participated in a couple training camps. So he doesn't have much center under his belt, but he got all of last year being on the roster to develop. He played some special team snaps as well. And Shepley at 6'5", 290 pounds, not the biggest center, but he plays bigger than that. Had 30 bench press reps a few years back when he was coming into the league in his pro day. So he plays with heavy hands. He'll move people. I just got to wonder if he is going to be the best fit if they're going to be running more zone. I don't think he's a bad athlete, but I've seen him really excel in the preseason games when he has been able to really fire out of his stance and get after defenders in gap run schemes. So I don't know that Seattle's going to do quite as much of that this year. Maybe they will. I don't know this will necessarily look exactly like Sean McVay's offense with the Rams, but I expect there's going to be more reliance on zone concepts. I don't know if Shepley fits that necessarily, but he's going to get a chance to prove that. And maybe, just maybe, he can end up being number two behind Austin Blythe. I think there will be a backup competition between him and Kyle Fuller. As far as sleepers go, I only showed three players on the depth chart, but Seattle has a past history of putting guards at the center position and trying to develop them. I could see a couple of their undrafted rookies coming in being potential candidates to do that with. Shamarius Gilmore out of Georgia State. Rob Rang and I have talked about him extensively since they signed him. More than 4,000 snaps at the college level, a two-time first-team all-Sun Belt selection. Over 2,000 pass protection reps, gave up just eight sacks. Really athletic at 300 pounds, moves well, so he's a good system fit. He hasn't played center, but He's got the versatility. He's played a little bit of tackle. He's played both guard spots at the college level. Something tells me that he could play center if they wanted to move him to that position. So he's a name to keep an eye on. And the other undrafted rookie that maybe the Seahawks could consider trying out 
at the pivot position would be Liam Ryan, who's coming out of Washington State, played a number of games starting across from Abraham Lucas. He's played guard. He's played left and right tackle positions. So he has versatility already in his game. He's got really short arms, though. Maybe the only chance he would have to develop into an NFL player would be giving him a shot at center. And if he can pick that up the way that he did guard as well as left tackle playing in the Pac-12, then maybe this is a player they can have in the practice squad for a year or two that over time could become a viable option at the center position for them. They need to have a young developmental player at this spot. They haven't had one for a couple of years, so maybe Gilmore or Ryan could fill that void that they've been looking for and have a center that they could try to develop and learn the position underneath Blythe and either Kyle Fuller and Dakota Shepley, whichever one of them makes the final roster. As far as bubbles go, when you only have three players on the roster, it's hard to list a bubble candidate, but it's got to be Kyle Fuller. As I mentioned, got the starting job in week one last year, kind of by default, because Ethan Posick had multiple injuries in training camp, came back too early, got banged up. And by the time he returned to the end of training camp, end of the preseason, Fuller had won that job. And so he was the starter in week one, started a number of games, and overall just wasn't that impressive. Had some issues in the run game. Communication was a real problem. You could tell other players, uh, Dwayne Brown in particular, were frustrated at times by the lack of communication from the center position. And so Seattle went back to Ethan Posick, even though they re-signed Fuller as a restricted free agent. Got to wonder if he is really going to be part of their plans in 2022. Dakota Shepley could push him. If one of these youngsters comes in and they move him to center and really picks things up fast, Seattle might be bold and say, we're going to move forward with one of these rookies. I think Fuller's probably more on the right side of the bubble at this point, but Shepley would be the one guy that could really push him in this race. And you know, if he plays well, it's possible Seattle might go with a younger player that they haven't gotten to see on the field at this point. They know what Kyle Fuller is. There may be more upside for Shepley as he continues to gain experience at that position. So there's a lot of pressure on Fuller here. No guarantees that he makes this roster necessarily. So he is squarely on the bubble, in my opinion. As always, thanks for making the Locked on Seahawks podcast your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and we're streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, I'll be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment, plus checking out which other players could be next in line for extensions after Brian Monet received a two-year deal earlier this week. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.